So many of us wish we can make the world a better place, but don't know where to begin. The vision of the Love Offering is to encourage and embolden a generation to do something to manifest the better world we want to see. First, by filling ourselves up with the love of Jesus Christ, and then pouring it out to the world around us. When we hear stories of how others have loved well, where they are, with the gifts that they've been given, it inspires and motivates us to do the same. Together, we can change the world one love offering at a time in thanksgiving to God, who is the most extraordinary giver of all. Brenda is the executive director at God's Food Pantry in Somerset, Kentucky, and has been for the past five years. Her husband, Brian, is employed by the federal government. They have three children. Brianna is 22 and is just finishing her master's degree in speech therapy at Western Kentucky University. Brooke is 21, a senior at Lindsey Wilson College. She will have her bachelor's degree in business this May and hopes to then work towards her master's. Bryce is 18 and in his senior year at Southwestern High School. He is signed to play baseball at the University of Cumberland's this fall. Brenda, number five of eight children, grew up in northwestern Wisconsin before God led her on a crazy journey to Southern California. There she met the love of her life, Brian, while he was a Marine stationed at Camp Pendleton. It was love at first sight, and after more than 24 years together, they are still waiting to have their first fight. Brian is originally from Somerset and convinced Brenda to move home with him about 22 years ago. Brenda's life journey has been a blessed, broken road that has led her to where she is today. She is passionate about her work at God's Food Pantry and knows that she is exactly where God needs her right now. She often says that she is just the tool that he uses to get the job done. She continually strives to find other ways to help in her community. She serves and has served on several nonprofit boards and advisory panels. When she is not helping others, you can usually find her on a baseball field somewhere or snuggling her fur babies or laughing at something crazy her husband has done. Without further ado, here's Brenda. Hey, Brenda. Hey there, Rachel. Thank you so much for being my guest today on the Love Offering Podcast. I'm so excited to be a part of it. As we read in your bio, you are the executive director of God's Food Pantry here in our community. Would you tell listeners what your organization does? Absolutely. Um, God's Food Pantry is a supplemental feeding program. We are we have been feeding people since 1982 in our community. And we our primary goal is just to make sure that low-income families don't go hungry. We have special programs just for our seniors. We have programs for our homeless. And we also have a sack lunch program that I'm very, very pleased with. Um, we offer sack lunches, no questions asked to anybody that walks through our doors. And that means that we have the ability to never turn anybody away who's hungry. So it's a great ministry within our community. And um, it's where my heart is. Yeah, I think that is um, so lucky that your job is also your ministry. And you've told me before how you could talk for hours about how God has shown up at God's Food Pantry to provide for the needs of people through the generosity of other people. Can you share some of your God stories with us today? I sure can. Um, that's a little bit of a dangerous question when it comes to me, though, because once I get started, I enjoy telling God stories more than just about anything. Yeah. Um, so often as Christians, something will happen in our lives that draws us closer to God. And 
as time passes, those memories fade and we forget about the joy um, that that experience created in us. And I guess as humans, we always feel like we need another experience to draw us back in. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be like that. Um, but when I get to tell the God stories um, from my life and from the pantry, I get to go back into those moments and remember all over again um, how, why I'm so blessed. And and so I tried to think about what stories your listeners might want to hear, but I thought I would just go ahead and tell one of my favorites, which is the milk story. And um, the milk story happened just shortly after I started my time at God's Food Pantry. And it's really important to note that that this particular story happened on a Friday afternoon, and it was probably about four o'clock in the afternoon. My staff had gone home for the day. I was finishing up my end of the work week paperwork, and a car pulled up to the door outside, and I can see that from my office. And I recognized that the car had seen better days and um, it was put together basically with duct tape and bubble gum. Mm -hmm. And there was an elderly gentleman who was getting out of the car and I didn't want him to encounter a locked door. And so I got up quickly and went to the door to let him in. And when he came in, I could see that he was troubled. And he immediately started into his story and telling me that he had just been granted emergency custody of his six-year-old grandson. And he was on his way to go pick this child up. And his trouble was that he didn't have any food to feed this little boy. And he explained to me that he was on a limited budget and that he lived by himself and that he was really battling with what am I going to do with the child? He said, when I want to eat, I eat. And when I don't want to eat, I don't. But here I've got this child coming into my life and and I'm not really sure what to do. Can you help me with food? And I said, absolutely. And so I started packing a cart for him and we chatted just a little bit. I said, do you know any kind of foods that he likes that he especially likes? And he said, well, I know he likes breakfast cereal. And I said, breakfast cereal, I can do. Um, I will get that and we'll put some other things together for you. And he said, well, do you have any milk for this cereal? And I said, sir, I am so sorry. Milk isn't one of those things that we normally get as a donation. Typically, people will bring us the non-perishable type items, but but milk is a, a pretty rare donation. But I might have some powdered milk in the back. And I knew that he was from a generation that would know what to do with powdered milk. And as I turned around to go, the door opened again. And a gentleman walked through the door, and he was loaded down with grocery bags. And he said, ma'am, I am so sorry to bother you so late on a Friday, but I've got some donations. Could I just set them on the counter? And I said, absolutely, as I turned to go back and look for this milk. And I searched the shelves high and low, and I found nothing. And I came back out to this gentleman, and I said, sir, I am so sorry, but we don't even have any powdered milk in the bag. Um, But I know that my kids like this cereal, and I held up the Cinnamon Toast Crunch box and said, I know that my children love this cereal with or without milk, so he can eat it straight from the cup and still enjoy it. And well, that's okay. He said, I'll I'll dig through my car and see if I can't come up with enough money for maybe a half a gallon of milk on my way home. And so he turned with his cart, he took it out and he started loading his groceries into his car. And as he's loading those groceries into his car, my phone rings. 
And I um, picked up the phone and it was this gentleman's voice. And he said, ma'am, I was just there. And I left a donation for you on the counter. And as I left, I realized it's Friday afternoon. You're probably fixing to go home for the weekend. And I said, well, yes, I am. He said, well, I'm glad that I caught you. I wanted to make sure that you knew that there were perishables in there. There's milk and cheese and some other things refrigerated. And I didn't want it to spoil the weekend. Okay. At this point, I've got a lump in my throat. I've got tears running down my face. Mm -hmm. And I said, thank you so much. And I run out to the counter and I grab this milk and cheese off the counter. I take it out to the gentleman at the car. And I said, sir, look what just came in. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. I know. And you know, you hear these stories and you read these stories on Facebook and, and you see it and you wonder if they're real or people just making it up to pull at your heartstrings. I do. I wonder, was this is an actual experience that somebody had, but here I am in my very own experience and realizing that God has just provided for this man while he was standing there. Um, I had been there for a year already and I had never had anybody donate milk and cheese. And yet here was this gentleman asking for it and it just shows up. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those God moments that I just, I, I, I could not hardly get it out of my heart and off my mind for days after that. And I told that story over and over and over again, because it was clear that God was making his presence known and, and really, really taking care of the needs of his people. And um, as time passed, um, other stories came and took the place of the milk story. And um, because you would have thought maybe that that would have been the whole goal of, of that was to help that one man. But it was almost a year later And we were having a fundraising event um, here in town. It was a musical event. We had 400 people coming and I was getting ready for this event. And my husband was standing next to me while I was getting ready. And he said, honey, do you have your speech ready for tonight? I said, what speech? (laughs) He said, aren't aren't you going to speak tonight at the at this event? Well, yeah, I I do plan on speaking tonight, Mm -hmm. but you don't have a speech. (laughs) Nope, I don't have a speech, but you're going to speak. Yep, I'm going (laughs) to speak. Yeah, he got this bewildered look on his face, and I said, "Look, I can't stick to a speech outline to save my life. It's just a waste of my time to write it down and decide what I'm going to say." I am going to trust that whatever I need to say, God is going to give to me while I'm standing there. And and that's what's going to need to be said. Mm -hmm. All right. If you want to stand in front of 400 people, not knowing what you're going to say, you just go ahead. (laughs) And so I did. I'm standing on stage in front of 400 people. By the way, I finally got over stage fright. That took a little while. Yes, it, it is. It's hard to be a public speaker when it's not something you normally do. But I had done enough that I could stand in front of these people. I wasn't shaking. But I just trust that God is going to give me the words that I need to say. And so as I'm standing there, I haven't told the milk story in probably eight months at least. And um, that's what starts coming out of my mouth is this milk story. 
And there were several people that as I looked out into the audience, I could see them wiping their eyes and, and they recognized that this truly was a gift from God for, for this elderly man and his grandson. And the night finished and we went home and I got to my office on Monday morning. And I get a phone call almost first thing on Monday morning from this man who said, Miss Russell, I was at your event this weekend. And I want you to know that you tore my heart out with that milk story. I work for Prairie Farms Dairy. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that you had a need for milk. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that you had a refrigerated box truck. And these were things that all came out while I was speaking that night. And for those listeners who don't know the, the dynamics or the distance, God's Food Pantry sits on one street and Prairie Farms Dairy, as the crow flies, isn't more than a half or three quarters of a mile away. We are literally in each other's backyard as the crow flies. Um, to drive from one place to the other literally takes less than a minute. Yeah. Um, but their corporate policy was such that they could not donate product unless it went onto a refrigerated truck. We hadn't had a refrigerated truck up until that point. Um, so what this man learned that evening while I was talking and God was giving me those words to say was that, A, we had a refrigerated truck and B, we had a need for their product. They had been sending their product out of county with somebody else who actually did have those factors in place. And he said, I'm making a commitment to you to make sure that some of our product is coming to you as often as we can. And so for the past four years, we've been getting donations of milk from Prairie Farms Dairy for our families. Mm. Who would have guessed that just one person who listened to that small voice that said, go get milk and cheese on a Friday afternoon and take it to the pantry Who would have guessed that that one gallon of milk would have turned into thousands of gallons of milk over the years for the families in need? God Mm. is the only one who could have put all of those factors together to make that work like it did. And, um, you know, it's, it's another one of those things where God can take one blessing and he can grow it into a multitude of blessings um, in his own time and in his Mm. own way. Yeah. And that's, that's beautiful, Brenda. It's a wonderful story. So, yeah. and what's, that's so what's, a, what's amazing is you have, that's just, that's, you have so many more stories just like that. And that's what I incredible do as you know, you, um, you, and you've, you talk about many times the belief in the power of, of one that these stories are just proof that one person's decision to show love and kindness does make an impact. And sometimes an impact, that they aren't even aware that they had. And at God's Food Pantry, you make it your goal to never say no. That sometimes it's the hugs and the conversations are just as important as the food that you provide. So tell us why you believe so strongly in the power of one. It's just like the man and and the milk story in, in that he was one person who made a very small donation in the whole big scheme of things and and that one donation was grown over and over and over again and you know there are so many people that think that they need to wait to give until they have some something substantial to give um, to help someone and and the real truth is that everyone 
has something to offer to someone, no matter how small the offering is to someone else, it might be exactly what they need at the exact right time. And um, I remember one day in particular um, doing something that didn't cost anything. I was working the front desk on a senior day where it was just senior citizens that were being served. And I had a full waiting room. I was the only one working the desk. And this older lady came up for her turn um, to get her food. And I was going down through our checklist of questions. And one of the questions is always be to, to verify that the household size is still the same as the last time they were in. And so I said to her, I said, so are there still two in the home? And her eyes filled with tears. And she said, well, no, I, I lost my husband a couple of months ago. And I said, honey, I'm so sorry. And she dropped her head and she whispered and she said, I've never been so lonely. Mm. And her heart was just breaking and my heart was breaking. And I'm in a closed office with a window between us. And, and so I stepped outside of my office to stand next to her. And I said, honey, can I hug you? And she said, absolutely. And I put my arms around her and I hugged a hard hug, that kind of hug that just says, I'm right here. Somebody cares. Mm -hmm. And she hugged me so hard back. And she said, do you know, nobody has touched me like this since the day of the funeral. And she was crying and I was crying and we hugged for a long time. And I stepped back into my office. I looked out over um, the waiting room and there was not a person in that waiting room who had not been touched by what had just happened. And, you know, it was a hug. It didn't mm. cost me anything, but it made a difference to her. And, and I'm trying to be so much more cognizant of, of how people are feeling and making sure that nobody feels alone if we can make a difference. But those are small things that one person can do to make a difference for somebody else. It's so important to know, you know, I, you have told me stories before about how a man delivered a blender and then it was just <laughs> days later that somebody needed a blender and he didn't know why he was called to deliver a blender, but he did it and then it met a need. And then you told me another story about a pumpkin that somebody, that <laughs> pumpkins were delivered and that there was a little boy that couldn't carve a pumpkin just to create a childhood memory. And then God provided a pumpkin. And so I do, I think we get caught up in the fact that we think it's got to be something big to change the world, but it doesn't. It's those, it's the hugs yep. and the pumpkins and the milk and the blenders. And, and then you can, get, and, I, and I love your stories. They are just so impactful that the small things make the biggest difference. That is absolutely the truth. And, and I know even on your last podcast, I was, I was listening to that and um, she was mentioning something about the ripples. Mm -hmm. And, and I so believe that just one small pebble in a pond can create ripples that will go on and on and on. And it doesn't have to be something big. You just mm -hmm. have to find something small that you can give and God will do the rest. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what can you do today? What do you have today that you can give, you know, just listening to God's still small voice. Um, Absolutely. So sometimes, so we've told some of these good stories, but sometimes the reality is that 
even though when we do give, we aren't always um, received well, so to speak, that sometimes there are some unlovable and even ungrateful people that we will encounter. So what do you find helpful to love these individuals anyway? What helps you? Well, you know, Rachel, I looked at this question as we as as we talked about it before, um, and and it it's amazing to me that so many people want to ask that question. It's always at the back of minds when I do tours at the pantry, um, where where people wonder if if people are grateful for what they get, mm-hmm. and, and if they're always lovable and nice to us because you would think that that would be the case, but lots of times people who are in situations where maybe they've lost hope sometimes lose their perspective and their ability to be kind and they come in and they're prickly and unlovable and and even appear ungrateful at times so I'm really kind of glad that you asked the question because I think that it's important that we talk about that Um, we need to recognize that everybody has circumstances that have brought them to the moment that they're in and not all of those circumstances are positive. And so at God's Food Pantry, one of the things that is so important to me besides giving out food is making sure that we are compassionately caring for the people that we serve. And I I tell my staff that I want people to feel hugged when they walk through the door, whether we physically touch them or not. Um, But there are people who come in who are prickly and unlovable or ungrateful And as human beings, it's very easy to reflect those same emotions back to them. Mm -hmm. So you really have to make a conscious effort to make sure that you are not reflecting back to them what you are on the receiving end of. And that's not really what God wants us to do. And so we really need to be cognizant of our actions. Um, I've pondered this a lot over the the five years that I've been at God's Food Pan, and I regularly remind myself that that um to serve and my job is exactly that my job is just to serve my job is not to judge who is worthy to receive the gifts that I have to give Mm -hmm. um my job is just to serve and that those judgment calls are going to be between them and God when they meet. And so no matter how prickly someone is, we try to treat them, treat them all with kindness and compassion. And I think I told you that I have an absolutely incredible staff and that their love and compassion for people is probably their single greatest strength. Mm -hmm. Um, But that we're all human and there are some days when we find it hard to give love. And on those days we have to recognize it. We have to back off and we have to tag team with the others who are more capable of it that day. So sometimes we walk away from somebody who is unlovable and allow somebody else to handle the situation, Mm -hmm. but we make a concerted effort to make sure that that happens. I think, you know, that is really true love is giving to people that can't give you anything into in return. And that's exactly what you all are, are doing. Um, I wanted to get more, a little bit more personal um, with you just to talk about sort of your background. So you've, you've shared with me before that you have specific snapshots and life changing moments that have shaped you into the compassionate woman that you are today. Would you mind to share some of your story and what you would say is your driving force in life that inspires you to do what you do? 
<laughs> I will. Um, and I, I think I described to you, I think everybody has snapshots in their life. And those are the moments in, in time that you look back on and you realize that at that moment, something happened um, that changed the course of your life forever. Um, sometimes you recognize those moments when they happen. And sometimes you don't actually recognize that it happened until you look back later and realize that that was a moment in the road um, that did change your life, um, even if you didn't know it at the moment. Um, one of those snapshots, and I know that it's going back a long ways, but we are the people we are because of the circumstances that we have encountered in our lives. And one of the biggest snapshots um, in my life happened when I was young it actually happened starting on my ninth birthday and I want to give a little backstory in saying that I grew up in a very very stable home with very stable parents it was a, a two-parent household where my father literally built bridges that was his job and my mom was a stay-at-home mom she was there um, for every childhood memory that I had she was a constant presence um, and she felt that being a mother was what she had been called to do. Now, my parents had four children. Um, I was number five of eight, but they had four children. And then there was a long 12-year span um, before me and my twin brother came along. And um, Rachel, I don't think we talked about this. We only got to six when you and I talked. Uh, um, yeah. I said I was one of eight and I was number five. Um, so there was four kids, there was 12 years, then there was me and my twin brother, and believe it or not, 12 years later, there were two more children um, that came to, to us um, through an ugly situation that turned into a beautiful adoption. And so therein lies eight children. So my mom was in babies for about 30 years, um, if you were to look from start to finish, from, from the first baby to the last one. Um, but what happened when I was nine and, and the first one actually occurred while well, my brother and I were um, celebrating our ninth birthday is that my parents got a call that my 22 year old brother had been in a car accident. We were waiting to cut the birthday cake when the call came in. And that call was that my brother had died in that accident and um, devastating doesn't even begin to describe um, what, what, those experiences were. Um, and tragically, um, six months later to the day, my 24 year old sister was killed in another car accident. And she was seven months pregnant at the time. And, and um, my maternal grandmother or my paternal grandmother was with her as well. And so over the course of six months, my parents had some of the most major loss that anybody in this world will ever experience. And obviously, the, the grief in our household was pal palpable. Um, and we, we did a lot of soul searching as a family um, to figure out how to deal with that grief. And, and it was a really hard time in our lives. Um, my parents decided that they wanted to, to do something productive with, with the emptiness that they were feeling. And so they became foster parents. And um, started taking in foster children and over the years fostered dozens and dozens and dozens of children. Um, at the time, I was about 12 years old when the foster children first started coming into our home. 
Um, I think I've always been soft-hearted, but that particular period of time um, that my family fostered really impressed upon me the importance of compassion. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of jotted down a few notes um, because I tried to think about the lessons that I learned through that time. And, and looking back, um, you know, our house was literally a mecca of activity. And an interesting fact was the fact that at one point in time, um, it was an eight bedroom house. And at one point in time, we had six teenagers and two children living in the home. And we had one bathroom, one. Mm -hmm. Now, with six teenagers, my twin brother was the only male teenager in a house. <laughs> <laughs> so bless add his a, heart. Add a little humor to the situation. And, um, you know, you learn a lot about sharing when you have to share one bathroom with that many people in a house. But it was always a, a mecca of activity. There was always something going on in our house. And, you know, there was a lot of different faces with a lot of different stories. And some of those stories should have never had to have been told. Um, some of them were pretty heartbreaking. And, you know, one of the first things that I realized with these children coming in and out of our homes that was that I lived a different life than most of the children who were coming to us. I lived in a home with two parents. I lived in the same home and went to the same school from the time I was in kindergarten until the time I graduated. I had the same group of friends. I never had to learn to make new friends or learn to adjust to a new school. Um, I learned that a smile on the outside sometimes hard, hides the pain on the inside. Um, I, I just, I learned how blessed I was. I learned that friendship and compassion are priceless gifts when they're freely given. I learned that a meal can be stretched to accommodate as many people as it needs to just by adding a pound of ground beef and two extra potatoes. <laughs> That's true. It is. It is. Yeah. And most importantly, I learned that when someone knocks on your door in the middle of the night, you don't ask questions. Mm. You just open the door. You open your arms and you open your heart and you let them in. And I think that those early experiences in my life were some of the most impactful. Um, maybe at the time I didn't have the age of maturity to know what to do with them, but they were the, the building blocks of my life that I took with me into adulthood. Mm -hmm. um, so those were, those were, that was part of where I think um, I learned the kindness and compassion was, was those experiences. And then, you know, let's fast forward a little bit, um, several years. Let's go past young and dumb because we're all there at one time, right? Yeah. Um, will you learn all kinds of lessons from the school of life as we're going through those years trying to figure out who you are and where you belong? Um, but I met my husband in California and um, we, we fell head over heels in love and he convinced me to come to Kentucky. And so we're going to kind of fast forward to that point um, where I now have two small children and this amazing husband um, that I clearly did not deserve, but I so appreciate. And it was at a little time after our second child was born when my, I, I found a lump on my neck and um it was at the point where I couldn't even hold my babies on that side of me because if they bumped me, it, it just set me on fire and, and put me through the ceiling. And 
Um, my husband got tired of coming up behind me and setting his hands on my shoulders and I would squirm away from him because I was afraid he was going to touch my neck. And he finally forced me to go to the doctor, at which point they discovered that I had a growing tumor in my neck and um, decided that surgery was our best course of action. At that time, they didn't know what they were facing, um, but I went into surgery and had the tumor removed. And there was nothing discovered during the surgery. It was in the week after when I went to my first post-op that I was sitting in the doctor's office. And as I'm sitting there, he said, Miss Russell, did you bring anybody with you today? I said, well, no, nope, I'm here by myself. The babies are with grandma, daddy's at work. It's just me. And he paused and he said, would you like to call somebody to come and be with you? No. And, and, you know, it's not even registering with me at this point. I mean, I, I was completely oblivious not even registering. And I said, no, no, really, there's, there's really nobody. Um, I'm okay. What, what's going on? You know, it's just a follow-up doctor's appointment. Right. Mm. And, and that's when he sat down and he held my hands and he said, well, we kind of need to talk about what happened after the surgery. And when you're, when, when, when we sent everything off to pathology, I wanted to kind of talk to you about what they found. And that's when he disclosed the cancer diagnosis to me. And um, he was very reassuring in telling me that they really believed that they got it all, um, but that we would be doing some follow-up testing. And I just took it all in stride. I was like, well, okay, you know, we'll deal with it. We'll go on. And, and, and again, I don't think it even registered with me until after I left. And I got back to, to my mother-in-law's house and I walked through the door and that's when it had to come out of my mouth. And I just looked at her and, it, and, it, and it, I think the full impact hit me at that moment. And I said, he says, I have cancer. Mm. That's when I cried. And it was the only time I cried. It was the only time I cried. It was the only time I allowed myself to be scared. Because at that point in time, I really felt that God had given me my children and that he expected me to parent those children for a long time. And that he was not going to take me away from them. Hmm. And, um, you know, I was very blessed that, that the surgery took care of the cancer for me. Um, and I almost felt guilty because so many people had it so much worse than I, that I rarely told anybody anything about it because, because I didn't have to deal with it any more than just the, the follow-up checkups and continuing to be on top of it. But I will tell you that every time you have one of those checkups, it comes back to you, the gratefulness that you're still healthy every single time. Mm. Um, and so after I got the all clear from the doctor, we decided to have baby number three. And um, Bryce came along, our only little boy. And what a wonderful child he is. Um, but it was at that time. Um, I think, you know, most people facing any kind of a scary diagnosis will tell you that there are always all kinds of emotions and a lot of self-reflection when you're going through those times. Um, and I was still doing that even, even in the time after Bryce was born. And it was one night during the night, um, when the whole family was asleep, when God came to me 
And he woke me up and he very clearly told me that he still had plans for me. Mm. And, you know, I didn't sleep for the rest of the night. Um, I have spent the last 18 years knowing that God has a specific plan for me. Um, I spend a lot of time praying that I'm following the path that he wants me to follow. Mm -hmm. Um, and that I'm making the choices that he wants me to make. And I have to tell you, Rachel, I, I, I truly and honestly believe in the depths of my heart that my time at God's food pantry is part of his plan and that he's using me for his work, um, Mm -hmm. in order to, to forward his kingdom. Um, so since I know that he's still not done with me yet, I'm going to keep praying and I'm Mm -hmm. going to keep myself open to being used in whatever way that he needs me. Yeah. You know, I love, you've shared with me before that you've just learned to embrace the negative and that God has given you a painful and broken road as you've just described, but you also say that you would do it all over again. What, what makes you come to that conclusion? You know, there are times when I, when I look at something and I think, you know, I probably should have done that differently. Um, I think we all do that. Mm. But when I, when I actually look back at it um, clearly and, and reflect on it, I realize that every lesson I have learned is important in some way. Um, and then I really realized that the biggest and the most impactful lessons of my life were almost all learned during the darkest times of my life. You know, those valleys or those furnace experiences that you go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and through them, I think the single biggest thing I've learned is that God is faithful mm-hmm. and he is always there and that he will bring morning after darkness um, and that he has a purpose for everything. Um, I can see now looking back that most of or all of my experiences have led me to the road um, to bring me to God's food pantry. Yeah. Um, You know, one of the heartbreaking experiences that you have had is the death of your niece's baby from SIDS. And you, during that time, you had a baby that was colicky and your perspective on caring for your crying child changed drastically after the death of your niece's baby. And I believe that life is very much about perspective and Although what we are going through is difficult many times, we can shift our mindset. How have you been able to stay positive in every fork of the road? You know, when, when, when that baby died, it was one of the hardest things that I've ever experienced in my life. Um, my niece and I were living together in Southern California. Our husbands were on deployment to Japan at the time, so it was just the two of us and her four-year-old son and this newborn baby. Um, I was pregnant at the time and, um, you know, she and I relied on one another, um, just to make it through the deployment together. Our our closest family was 2000 miles away. And so we were very, very close. And, um, Marcus, her baby was, he was just, uh, he was just this beautiful little boy and he was such a joy um, to love and to hold. Um, the night before he died, she brought him to me. I was sitting on my bed and she said, 
I desperately need a shower. Can you just keep him until I can take a shower? And I was like, give him to me. And he laid on my bed and we snuggled and I pulled his soft little fuzzy socks off and I was blowing raspberries on the bottom of his little feet and it would put him into fits of baby giggles. And, you know, it was just, just that time with a baby when you just enjoy every second that you have with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't know at that moment that it's the last time that you're going to get to snuggle them. And had I known that I only had a few short hours left with him, I think I would have hugged him a little harder and yeah. I would have snuggled him for a little bit longer and, and just loved on him just a little bit more. Um, because he passed away the next day, he, he just, he went to sleep and he didn't wake up. And, um, a few months later I gave birth to Brianna and she was not a happy baby. Um, she did not sleep. She cried all the time. And, um, I, I was scared to death to put her down. Um, there, there's a part of a a PTSD that goes with that in that my hand was on her all night long just to make sure that she was breathing every single night. And, and she just, she just cried so much. And I can remember sitting in the rocking chair with her one night and she was inconsolable. She could not stop crying and I couldn't comfort her in any way. And my frustration and my exhaustion was at an all time high and I didn't know what to do with this baby. And then it was almost like it hit me like a bucket of cold water that my niece was laying in the next room next to me. Our rooms were side by side and that she was listening to this baby cry in the middle of the night. And my heart knew that if I were her, I would probably be laying there crying thinking, I wish I had a screaming baby in my arms right now. Yeah. And it was at that moment that I literally took Brianna under her arms and I lifted her up and I said, God, I want to tell you that I am so thankful that I have a crying baby in my arms this moment Mm. because that is better than the alternative of not having a baby at all. And I go back to that memory so many times over over the last 22, 23 years, whatever it's been at this point. And I've applied that experience to my life over and over and over mm-hmm. again in so many situations. We all need to recognize that our blessings um, come to us in many different ways. And sometimes our blessings aren't wrapped up in pretty packages. Sometimes they're wrapped up in a screaming baby. Mm. That That is so good. You know, I, so many times, um, you know, we're in the midst of doing our day-to-day routines, you know, laundry, but then we have to just recognize, Lord, I'm thankful I even have clothes to wash, or I'm thankful Absolutely. that I even have a, 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 a dryer and, a you know, a dishwasher yes. for all these dishes and a family that I have to feed or get to feed. It's just, it's, it's just switching our perspective to realize that's such beautiful that's wisdom. Exactly. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, God often works in mysterious ways. We think that things happen for a reason and we get disappointed when things don't happen as we think that they should. But then later we see God's hand uh, in putting each piece together in his own time. And your role at God's Food Pantry is a prime example of this. Can you tell us about how your position came about? I think it's such a cool story. 
I know. I, I knew that you enjoyed this story when we when I told it the first time because it's just so off the wall. Um, God started preparing me for my role at, at God's Food Pantry so many years ago. Um, and I didn't know it then, but looking back now, it, it all makes sense. Uh, one of the most interesting stories about how my job came about, about involves um, a very disappointing experience with our family dog. Uh, and that happened more than a year before the job ever came available at God's Food Pantry. Um, but I have this adorable little Maltese. She is the light of our life. Um, and she has been a part of our family now for 13 years. Back then, it was, she was much younger. But um, I was serving on a, an advisory panel at our middle school that my children go to. And I went into one of these meetings early one morning. And one of the ladies who serves on that advisory panel with me, her name was Pat. Um, she actually works at the school in addition to serving on that panel. And we were chit-chatting before the meeting started. And she held up her phone with a picture and she said, look at my adorable new grandbaby. Well, he's a grand puppy. Yeah. And, and so she holds up the phone with this little Maltese that is just so adorable. Well, of course, you know how it is. Us proud fur baby owners grab our phones. I pull mine up and I said, look at my Maltese. And she said, oh, my gosh, she's beautiful. And so we shared dog stories for a couple minutes. And then she said, do you want puppies? <laughs> and I said, we do want puppies. I said, we would like one more puppy. And she said, well, we want a puppy. And um, she said, do you want to get them together? And so we talked about it. And one of the things that we had wanted a puppy, but we couldn't find another Maltese that was small enough. Our little girl was only about five and a half, sometimes up to six pounds. Um, but her little male or her grand puppy was four and a half pounds. And um, so we decided we were going to have puppies. And we went through two full rounds of heat cycles. And it was almost a year process by the time it all happened. And in that time, we had to, to, to move the dogs back and forth in order for them to be together. And I met Pat's husband, Jack. And we were back and forth to their house. And, and um, you know, it all sounds crazy now when you think about it. But we were so disappointed because we never got a puppy. It didn't matter. The, the two of them loved each other. They got together. And there was never a pregnancy that resulted from that. And we were heartbroken and so disappointed. But you know what? We made new friends along the way. And that's really okay. And um, then fast forward a, a little while. And this job comes open at God's Food Pantry. Pat's husband, Jack, was actually the director at, he was an interim director at the time at the food pantry. Um, and somebody told me about the job and I knew in my heart, as soon as I heard about it, that that's where I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And so I went and talked with Jack. Now having that conversation with Jack probably never would have happened, but for the fact that we got to know each other through the dogs. Right. And, and so I went to see Jack and he gave me a tour of the pantry and told me all about all of the things that they do there. And Jack had gotten to know me just through that and was actually probably one of my strongest voices 
um, through the hiring process in, in that he put in a really good word for me um, that he felt that I was meant to be there. And um, fast forward, I did get the job and, you know, Jack handed the handed the pantry over to me and a short time later, he actually passed away. And I was visiting Pat at the middle school um, right after he passed away and, and we were chatting. And as we were walking down the hall, just making small talk, there was this thought in my head. And amazingly enough, Pat stopped her conversation in midstream and looked at me and she said to me what I was thinking. She said, Brenda, did you ever think it wasn't about the puppies? Mm. Yeah. And, and, and I think about that, that, you know what? He brought us together a long time before we needed to know one another in order for all of this to happen. And so I, part of my, it, it, there's no coincidences. There just isn't. God has a plan and you just have to be open to it. Yeah. He's constantly orchestrating. And so that leads me to my next question for you. So all of your collective experiences have made you a perfect fit for your current position. And you have shared before that if God gives you talents and abilities, plus (laughs) an opportunity, it equals an obligation. Can you expand upon this equation for us? I sure can. Um, This has kind of been my life motto for the last couple of years. Um, You know, I never finished college. I wanted to, just wasn't the right place for me. And I always thought that not finishing college made me less valuable um, to others. And even knowing that I had no degree, the selection committee chose me to be the director at God's Food Pantry. And in the time that I've been there, I've come to the realization that God gave me every life experience that I would need to effectively grow his ministry. And those experiences were so much more important than anything that I would have learned in a classroom. He took me, he prepared me, he gave me my heart and passion, and then he gave me the skills that I needed to do his work. And I think that he does that with everyone. Um, I think he gives everyone their own talents and abilities and, and in doing that, he is preparing them for something that he needs them to do. And when the time is right, I think that he'll set that opportunity in front of them. And, and you know, he says, I've given you these gifts. I've given you this opportunity. And I think that we have an obligation to, to follow through with what he expects of us when he does that. You know, so many people set their talents and abilities on a shelf because they're too busy or they just don't feel like it. But God gives you those talents and abilities for a reason, and he wants you to use them um, for his glory. And um, so there's where there's where it all comes out when I say that if you have the talent and ability um, and he sets the opportunity in front of you, I think that you have an obligation um, to, to follow through with that. And I hope everyone recognizes how special they are and how special you are to God, um, mm-hmm. that he will give that to you. And, you know, again, it goes back to some people think they need to have so much to be important. You know, being a good listener is as important of a talent as being a brain surgeon. It just matters who God puts in your path that has that need. 
Um, so don't miss an opportunity to use the gifts that you've been given. You know, it reminds me of the parable of the five talents and, you know, what is, what are you doing with the gifts that he's given us and he can multiply it. And then also I heard a quote the other day that said, you know, when, when we meet Jesus face to face, that he's not going to hold us accountable for what we did, but he's going to hold us accountable for what he called us to do. So just this, you know, really trying to listen to uh, his voice. Um, I wanted to, you know, you have made such a tremendous impact in our community each year you serve over 55,000 people Um, and but you are not content to stop there you have even bigger dreams moving forward can you tell us what dreams God has placed in your heart to continue your ministry I can they're really big um in the past five years our pantries actually tripled the number of people that we're serving um it's literally God taking the fishes and the loaves and providing for us so we can help so many others. Um, But about three years ago, uh, God laid it on my heart that we need to continue to find other ways to help um, above and beyond our feeding ministry, because there are still so many unmet needs within our community. Um, I think that we need a soup kitchen that operates um, on a a more regular schedule, more than just a, a couple days a week. And I think that we need a place that our families in need can access home items that are important to to making a life, Um, household items and cleaning supplies and and clothing and things like that. And right now, some of those things are available, but oftentimes our families in need have to chase all over the county or all over the area to be able to get those needs met. And oftentimes they don't have the transportation or the ability to even go find the things that will meet their needs. And so God has put it on my heart that, that these are the things that we, we need to work on um, and a homeless shelter, one that um, we have one that is doing a very good job. It's just doesn't meet enough of the needs, not for their, their lack of, of what they're doing, just that there are more needs than what they can take care of. And so I would like to see us at some point in the future, have a place where we can take care of people in so many other ways where the ministries are all coming together. Um, We have some exciting news coming um, on this front and God has just literally started putting some pieces together for us to make this happen. We're not quite ready to reveal what that is, but we do have some really incredible things coming in this community. And and I'm hoping that um, our friends and neighbors will embrace it and be willing to step up and help us with it. Here. Um, So this podcast has listeners all over the country and even across the globe. If people are listening and have a desire to help others, to volunteer, to get involved, what advice would you give to them? Well, first and foremost, I would say find something you're passionate about, something that is important to you or really matters to you, and then find a place that you can use that passion and turn it into into some kind of positive action. Um, Take your skills and commit to giving to somewhere, even just a few hours a month, but make it regular giving. Um, so many places need people to help. I know at God's Food Pantry, it takes 300 volunteer hours a week. That's 300 per week just to make our facility run. So volunteers are really important to us. And I know that we especially appreciate those volunteers who come through our door and say, 
Use me. Use me wherever you need me. Use me in whatever capacity. And they don't mind if the work is behind the scenes, um, if it's not glamorous. They just want to be used. Just use me however you need me. And our best volunteers recognize that we depend on them. And when they make a commitment, they follow through with their commitments. We actually schedule our volunteers just as if it's a work schedule. And sometimes as a volunteer, um, I think we have the perception that it's optional. Well, they don't really need me. I'm just a volunteer. But our facility can't run without those volunteers. And so we especially love those who, who are committed to following through with their commitments and showing up when they say they will. So that's really important. And finally, um, on a personal note or professional note, when it comes to feeding, if you are interested in volunteering at a feeding ministry, I would really like you to encourage you to remember that hunger happens 365 days a year. Mm. So many people only think about helping and giving of their time and gifts um, in November and December during Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I can't tell you how many times that people call me saying, our family wants to volunteer to serve Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner um, so our kids can learn about compassion towards those who are less fortunate. And I want to promise you that our children will learn more about compassion if we serve others all year long, not just on Christmas and Thanksgiving. Oh, that's good advice. Um, I always like to ask my guests who the extraordinary giver has been in their lives. So Brenda, would you mind to answer that question for us? I will. And, and this was a hard one. Um, it is. Yeah. <laughs> really hard one. I have so many wonderful people in my life who encourage me and pray for me and love me unconditionally. Uh, those who cry with me and when I'm sad and, and, and rejoice and celebrate with me when there's something wonderful going on. Um, so it was really hard to choose, but as I was thinking it through, I just really want to say that Melissa Lancaster is one of the most extraordinary, special givers in my life. Um, Melissa has an inner light that just shines so bright. Her faith is evident in every action she takes. She has a kind word for everyone she meets and the most giving heart of anyone I know. Um, she loves unconditionally, and I look up to her as someone I want to be more like. Um, she is the health ministries coordinator at our local hospital, and she serves her community in dozens of other ways, including serving on my board at God's Food Pantry. And I guess if I could choose a sister, another mm -hmm. sister, um, she would be at the very top of my list. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to try to get in contact with her and see if we can interview her. I'd love to hear her story as well. It would be a blessing. So how can listeners keep in contact with you? And, and what is the best way that we can help your organization moving forward? Well, um, as far as getting contact with me, you know, social media is always the way to go. Um, I would encourage everybody to like our Facebook page, which is our most um that's the way that we communicate with the public the most often. Um, if you like the God stories, I try to put those out on Facebook in a regular, on a regular basis because I think that everybody needs to have that um, reassurance of, of the way that God is acting within our community and, and within our lives. So mm -hmm. Facebook is always good. Like our Facebook page. You can friend request me um, or follow me through, through our God's Food Pantry page. And as 
far as helping our organization, we are always in need of um, donations of time and donations of money and food. And obviously we, we covet your prayers. Well, Brenda, thank you so much for your consistency and the positive impact you're having on our community. I believe you are sprint, you know, you're filling stomachs, but you're filling um, hearts and souls with hope. So um, the difference you're making in people's lives will no doubt have an internal impact. Uh, I appreciate you for being a guest on today's podcast. God bless you, Brenda. Thank you so much, Rachel. God bless you as well. Bye-bye. Bye. The Love Offering was created to inspire us to intentionally seek ways to share God's love with a world often marked by the opposite. God gives us His love so freely. He simply asks that we believe in Him and that we share His love with others. The hope of the Love Offering is that it starts a chain reaction of loving service that points people to Him. It is a pure-hearted, servant-minded approach to living. So where does God have you? Who has He surrounded you with? What stirs your heart? Start there. No act is too big or too small. Let's spur one another on as we share God's love in tangible ways and change the world one love offering at a time.